Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Retro Mecca podcast. I'm your host Ian and as always I'm here with Craig. How are you doing Craig? Not too bad, not too bad. Good to be here. So three months later than published, um, we're recording our Dan Hugo episode. I know we had a few comments, so you're wondering whether we disappeared. No, no. Like what we said with the Starfleet X Bomber episode, we've uh, just published. Um, you know, it's just kind of life, truly, well and truly, kind of got in the way. Yeah, bit, as usual. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's definitely right, a running theme in recent months. <laughs> it is, but we are here to talk about the first part of our Dan Cougar retrospective. So, this first part, we're going to talk about the TV series and the Requiem for Victims OVA, which is kind of true um kind of sequel or conclusion to the tv series mm-hmm. um and then everything else the god bless dan cougar blazing epilogue and dan cougar nova ova which are all kind of separate entities to the the main tv series we'll talk about them separately in a separate episode sure right so yeah dan cougar will uh i'll give a bit of a background to it and then we'll kind of talk about where we've seen it so Choju Kishin Dankuga, or Machine Beast God Dankuga, is a 38-episode TV series that ran from the 5th of April 1985 to the 27th of December 1985. And Dankuga Requiem for Victims is a one-episode OVA released on April the 21st, 1986. Both were directed by Seiji Okuda, um, who also did Psycho Armagovarian, Rashiman, Dream Hunter Rem OVA series. He also did a very terrible OVA called Crystal Triangle, um, and he did some football anime uh, through the 90s and early 2000s, and it was produced by Ashi Production. had seven different character designers who all kind of specialised on focusing on a single or a couple of characters each. Music was by Osamu Totsuka and Takashi Ike, and the mecha design was by Hisashi Hirai, and featured the mecha design sort of key animation debut of Masami Abari, who would go on to have you know, a very, very significant and ongoing mecha and sci-fi and um, kind of adult anime <laughs> hentai <laughs> career as well. So Thank You is quite interesting in it, where it kind of sits in, you know, when we talk about the context of, of where these shows sat. So like with Zambot 3, where we talked about where it sat in that real peak of super mm. robot animes just at the late 70s thank you just kind of sat on really that the tail of that peak of real robot stroke super robot anime through the mid 80s so in 1980 you had seven tv mecha shows you had 12 tv mecha shows in 1983 nine mm. in 1984 and then including thank you had Five in 1985 so you know in 85 you had Zeta Gundam Dirty Pair which you know you can it's not it's sci-fi but it's got sort of mecha elements to it Toby Kagi and, and SPT Lazener so and then like the following years would have kind of three or four and I always think when you look at the amount of or kind of certainly the rise of the mecha OVA through the late 80s and into the early 90s you can kind of see how just as that TV thing kind of plattered out at about three or four shows a year, which we talked about a bit through our um, Toshiki Hirano episode where we talked about the, the Mecha OVAs, which, you know, Hirano was, um, you know, involved in with uh, Abari as well. You know, he did a kind of lot of Mecha work with uh, Hirano. So, yeah, it's kind of in that real kind of peak boom 
era of, of mecha anime and Ashi Productions, you know, like Sunrise, mm. you know, was really, really, really pumping a lot of this stuff out. And, you know, yeah. that's where Abari started at, at Ashi Production a few years earlier and was just kind of doing animation work and then got his kind of design debut um, on Dankuga, uh, which we'll, we'll get into a bit more uh, later in the, the show. So, Greg, tell us about your introduction to Dankuga. It was one of those shows that I probably, you know, found out about around these the sort of early uh, 2000s because of the fact that there was just a lot more information emerging then. I was somewhat familiar with Masami Obari's work and I was I was kind of uh, interested in checking it out for a long time, but it was only about four years ago I got around to actually watching it. And that was around the uh, Discotech DVD release. So that was the first uh, actual full viewing of it, but I was... It was a show that I'd always uh, meant to get around to, but yeah, I finally uh, got around to it and Discotech released it on DVD. Yeah, I found out about it early kind of 2000s when I was, you know, the spread of information on the internet and yeah. you know, picked up. And then the Super Robot Chronicles book, which I first bought in 2002, um, had quite a big, quite a few pages about Vancouver. Um, so there was lots of sort of pictures and sort of descriptions of the the TV series and the OVAs and mm. in there. And then um, then I watched a DVD fan sub of it in probably the mid two thousands. And then I watched it again, a fan sub based on the Blu Ray that came out probably about ten years ago. The um, Japanese Blu Ray, take it for the that Japanese Blu Ray, yeah. yeah. Um, so I watched that, and then and then I watched it a third time. Um, with the with the discotheque Blu-ray, um, yeah. So yeah, it's one I think of those. We both sort of, you know, we're we're probably trolling forums and going on the internet around a similar time, like looking for information on this stuff and finding out more things about creators yeah. we liked and stuff like that. Because that was that early time of uh, of stuff starting to filter through into English speaking. Yeah, yeah, community, that's right. Wasn't it really? Yeah, more information on different shows and things. Yeah, and there was uh, that kind of yeah, and, the, and then the boom of the digital fan sub through the early two thousands as well. It was available from Discotech, so initially they released a, a DVD of just the TV series, and then a Blu-ray that included Requiem for Victims and Blazing Epilogue. But has since uh, gone out of print six mm. months ago or so, um, quite yeah, frustratingly. It was, so uh, wasn't in print very long, was it? No, less no. Than two years or something, I think. Yeah, it does kind of. Frustratingly, in that category of a load of mecha stuff that mm. that has just gone out of print. So you know there was a, a lot of frustration when uh, Sasuriga, you know, the last of the J Nine series, literally was in print for about two or three months before it went out of print. Um, mm. It was very yeah. frustrating. But since you've had Dan Cougar, Acra Bunch, Astro Gangers gone out of print last month as well, mm-hmm. um, and I've noticed there's some other non-mecha series that have kind of quietly slipped out of print mm. from Discotech as well. Um, yeah. It is frustrating because there's like no warning. I find it frustrating because there's people saying, well, you should be jumping on this stuff as soon as it's released because it's not always in mm. quantities. And it's like, well, no one no one knows when it's released yeah. that it's only going to be out for two months. You know, exactly, there's no, yeah. There's no warning. Um, I find that frustrating as well. And it, it's annoying that a lot of these shows that have went out of print in terms of the mecha shows have all been like landmark shows as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you look at like things like the J9 trilogy, Dan Cougar, and you know, the Idian went out of print from Sentai, a totally mm. different company, but same thing. And it's really, really frustrating because all of these are key shows that are important. Yeah, yeah. 
if you want to sort of get a bit of a history of the evolution of, of mecha anime and, and, you know, watch the landmark shows and things. Yeah. You know, the thing is, these all things cost a lot. There's quite a lot of it that comes out, so mm. it's almost impossible for people to just go out and, and buy all yeah, this Yeah, I stuff. can't keep up with everything. I mean, I, that's what I spend most of my sort of... I would say I spend most of my kind of free income... I don't go out very much, I don't drink very much, and yet I still struggle to like, you know, collect all of the sort of manga and yeah. anime and everything that I that I collect and and there's a huge slew of discotheque releases that I have not bought yet and other companies as well. Yeah, and it's just you know, I just think it'd be a little bit of foresight to say, you know, if these things are like a print run of like so many thousand or whatever, mm. it's kind of like be a bit more give upfront about bit, it. You yeah, know. give us a little bit of an indicator of how long this stuff's gonna be around. Because I, I do find it very frustrating is that all of a sudden it's just like white stuff or someone it will just be like, this is out of print. You yeah, know? absolutely. And, and, then, even and then if they just said, even if they just said something like um, it's it's only going to be around for a limited time, just grab yeah. it, you know, when you can. Um, or we've got a limited license on this one, so we can't just print yeah. copies ad infinitum. You know, just, yeah. just a bit of warning would be good. Because... The, the J9 thing was really frustrating because I undenied about picking them up early last year and mm. I didn't because I thought, nah, I'll get them next year. There was some other stuff that I kind of wanted thinking that they would be available because obviously there was no... J9 had just come out. It's like, it's only just come out. I'll get it next year. It's fine. And then mm. literally, like two months later, no, it's out of print. Mm. There was a mad rush on the whole J9 thing and that was it. You know, well, it was a it, similar was thing with the Dan Cougar Blu-ray for me because I've got the DVD, but obviously that doesn't include any of the OVAs. And I was kind of humming and hawing about picking that up and thinking, well, you know, maybe I should concentrate on shows I don't have mm. first because I've already got the TV series. And I thought, well, I'll get it eventually. I'll get something else instead. And that was uh, that was a huge mistake. I mean, the thing is, obviously, us living in the UK, we need to import this stuff. Yeah. And we we tend to do bulk orders and get a lot of stuff in at once. Mm. And that costs a lot of money because you need to save on shipping, which is some of the things that maybe people in the US don't necessarily appreciate when they say yeah. grab it now. We can't just go into a store and buy this stuff, you know. Yeah. And, it's not and like going up the street to your local DVD stockist, to your local, your local little Blu-ray retailer. Yeah, and the thing is, for us, you know, it's like the the shipping and the uh, customs fees, are, are, you know, they mount up. So mm, Especially um, now. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's like you do have to kind of bulk yeah, buy to... Everything um, we've, with everything we've been through in the UK recently, Brexit and all that crap. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, so I think that's enough of a moan about that. We'll, uh, we'll get into talking <laughs> about the show. <laughs>
Right, so we'll get into our usual review of the first episode and just take a look at that on its own as an introduction to the series. So, episode one of Danku Gur. Um, just to give a, a brief synopsis outline of, of the episode. So, it starts in space with a mysterious alien mecha and space cruiser. We get introduced to our main antagonists, Emperor Zorbidus of the Mug Empire and his three henchmen, Death Gaia, Gildorum and Helmet. And they're planning to invade Galaxy Sector 5, which basically includes, which is our solar system, basically, and includes <laughs> Earth. Then we cut to the Earth, and we see the Earth Command, and they kind of know that the aliens were coming, um, and basically they've turned up. And then we get introduced to our sort of three keen protagonists, Shinobu, Shapiro, and Sarah. Then the attack starts on the base, and the Earth forces start fighting the alien forces and ultimately Shapiro has these sort of visions of grandeur doesn't he and he goes off to join the aliens because he thinks he's better than all the rest of the human race Uh, Sarah goes to follow him but Shinobu stops in you know sort of being kind of traitors you know and, and sort of deserting and then basically he basically shoots her down she goes to fly away he shoots her down and kind of stops her and then kind of wants a load of answers a sort of lull in the in the action and then Nug attacks the base again the force led by Death Gaia and his ship basically lands on on earth and at the end of the episode Shin gets uh, told he's been assigned to a a special unit in Japan and uh the cyber beast force the cyber beast force um and he kind of goes off and he sees Sarah just before he goes and, and Sarah basically thanks him for saving her life and then finishes with Shin disappearing off into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of the outline. So I, I generally think this is actually a, a, like a very, very good first mm. episode. I um, totally agree. It's interesting because it's a very good first episode without introducing a lot of the things that will be core of the show later mm. on. I yeah, mean, exactly. it introduces the characters well, but there's no mecha in the first episode for the heroes. No. There's no, there's a lot of characters missing from the first episode because Shinobu's only told that he will become a part of the Cyber Beast Force at the end of episode one, as you mentioned. So we get introduced to the other key characters who will, you know, the the commander of Cyber Beast Force and and other colleagues, including um, you know other sort of heroes in the subsequent yeah. ones. So we get a really good introduction to three of the characters in this episode that we'll be seeing a lot of in the future. But it's not really indicative of what the series will be like going forward. But it's still a good introduction to the series as a whole. Yeah, because it's one of those things that's quite... We'll talk about this a little bit more. Um, But yeah, you're right. It gives very, very little away. There Mm -hmm. is basically only a handful of the characters. There's no mecha. There's no indication of what the cyber beast force is or anything really um but i like that because of the fact it gives the series so much room to reveal stuff and slowly introduce the elements that will be important yeah a lot of it's given away in the opening credits yeah true there is that problem yeah you, <laughs> you that's know. a common problem with anime isn't it yeah so um but there's only these hints through the opening credits and then there's mm. none of it is explained in the first episode which I, I like you um, I agree 
you know, I think that's actually quite a good thing. It, it kind of sets yeah. up. But it starts off, you know, it has the, the New Empire designs of the ships are really cool. The yeah, design of the Earth, the Earth fighters are really cool as well. Mm-hmm. There's some really, really nice design work mm-hmm. um, throughout it. Definitely. Uh, which which I really, really liked. And the, um, you know, it has to be said, the animation in this first episode is quite, mm. it's outstanding. I mean, it is yeah. really, really well animated. It is. Well. It looks fantastic. Like you said, the the Moog designs of the Mega are really striking. They do look very alien and different. Yeah. You know, they couldn't look any more far removed from the sort of, from like the Earthcraft and fighters and things. And there's just this real sense of just how hard-hitting the invasion is. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the early episodes show you a lot of like the Earth being devastated by these um, by these Mook fighters. They're essentially the grunt fighters, but they cause so much damage on their own without the sort of you know the kind of named Mecha and the the generals of Emperor Mugir that um, we know that from the beginning that Earth is in for a real battering. And it does really do a good job of showing that as the series continues. We see lots of key places in the world, like real places being attacked uh there's a yeah, lot of real world yeah. locations in it but That's this right. first episode just does give a great sense of like the scale of everything and the animation is just great with the dogfights and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah absolutely. really well realized stuff yeah and and i like the way it kind of sets up that triumvirate of the three ca- kind of key characters because mm. you know you've got this relationship with sarah and shapiro Mm-hmm. And Shinobu interrupts, and he's kind of there's a bit of jealousy in it, and it sets up that the fact that Shapiro and Shinobu don't like each other. Yeah, and you know, yeah, as I said earlier, you know, Shapiro has this real sense of sort of grandeur, um, mm. and he's not, uh, you know, he basically vision. thinks he's better than everybody else, and yeah, he's and destined he's kind of... for great things. So when he sees, he sort of sees an opportunity to. To seize power, he thinks. Right, I'm going to go with the sort of the the win inside, essentially. And yeah, but and, he's a um, lot more sort of egotistical than you can ever imagine as the series progresses. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. He he flies off, and Shinobu's sort of distrust of him and wanting to know, and and it, you know, it kind of there's almost this kind of little love triangle, mm. almost with it because you don't know is it Shinobu's jealous of. Shapiro mm-hmm. and Sarah's relationship, mm-hmm. or um, so um, and the fact that he's he's not going to let him get away. <laughs> Actually, he threatens to shoot her down, and mm-hmm. Sarah's kind of blindly following him. And yeah, because uh, like, she doesn't no. exactly know that he's going to do that, and, it, and no. so so she's like confused and sort of follows him. Yeah, seemingly for answers, but like you know, Shinobu doesn't necessarily know exactly what's going on, so he's questioning her, and he's like confused. But she closes up, doesn't she? And she won't really tell him exactly what's going on, which is really no, frustrating no. for him. And that goes on for a little while. Is he's always trying to get answers from her, and she becomes confrontational about it rather than just telling him that she didn't know that he was going to do that. There's also the you know in inverted commas ace pilot bit gets set up mm. because the, you know when Shinobu joins the fight, all the other pilots are very happy that um, that he's turned up. So uh, really interesting. You know how it kind of it gets those dynamics going really, really quickly. Does the love triangle thing, the rivalry, almost sort of well, like a hatred between Chaparro and yeah. uh, Shinobu, and the fact that he likes Sarah, but she's kind of you know obsessed with uh, Shapiro still. 
Yeah. Even though he's defected, she's still got these sort of feelings for him, which yeah, yeah. becomes a little bit frustrating as the series progresses because you're like, you know. <laughs> it does start to start to grate a little bit in key episodes, but it does it does a very good job essentially of uh, of setting up that uh, dynamic mm. uh, between the three of them, which will be explored in a, in a lot more detail later on. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, as a first episode, I give this an eight. I think it does. Mm. I think it does kind of does everything right. It looks great. It's yeah. got cool designs. It sets those kind of key character mm-hmm. stories up. It doesn't give yeah. very much away. You know, it's it set the battle up and the fact that Death Guy's battle, you know, you see these other three, you see the other two guys, you know, Gildorum and Helmut, but mm-hmm. you don't see them do anything as such. So you know they're yeah. going to play, have some a effect. A key role. A yeah. key role. Because the, the, the generals are very important in this show. Like a lot of, uh, I mean, there's some mecha shows that just kind of, you know, they're just there, it's kind of set dressing yeah. almost, but... We've reviewed a couple of shows recently where the generals are quite important, and this is another one of those where they really do get a chance to be key characters. Yeah, as I said, the opening credits are set a load up, which like isn't revealed, so you know all that's coming as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think yeah, I think it does a, a, a does a really good job of setting the uh, the series up. You definitely want to watch more after seeing this first episode. Absolutely, you know, there's a lot more to come just from the credits alone. But the series, had you, had you missed the opening credits, the series does do a lot of does a lot of teasing in this first episode. Like yeah. you say, the generals appear. There's a mention of the cyber beast force. There's all this tantalizing stuff to come, and when it ends, you're just like, yeah, I'm really, really ready to continue on this journey. And so, how would you rate the first episode, Craig? I would definitely give it a solid eight, um, if not maybe eight and a half, something like that, because um, yeah. it's just really, really strong, well paced. Well animated, and it hooks you from the get go. Good characters in a in a really good setting. Yeah, definitely. Right, so now we'll get into our review of the main bulk of the TV series. And what we'll do is on the back of this, we'll we'll tack on Requiem for Victims because it the TV series directly flows into it. So we'll, yeah. we'll talk about the the plot together. Sure. Um, so. After the first episode, the TV series kind of breaks down into really three key arcs. So mm. you've got up until the end of episode 16 and then up until about episode 27. And then you've got the run to the end of the TV series in episode 38. And then the story kind of fully concluded in, in Requiem for Victims. So we'll kind of break the, the review down into those bits. So the next 15 episodes after the first episode is that is basically kind of building up the whole mm. cyber beast force basically yeah. it spends a, a very very long time so over the next sort of few episodes we get the introduction of the remaining characters so basically sara turns up uh, as quite a surprise to uh, shinobu you know, then Masato and then Rio as mm-hmm. the remaining characters and introduced to the remaining bits. So in episode two, Shin, as the, the first member of the CBF, gets introduced to the Eagle mm-hmm. and we see that first sort of mecha of the um, the show. And then and then after that, you know, the remaining, uh, we get Sara in episode three and the, uh, the, the Land Cougar and then Masato and the... Liger in episode four and then Ryu and the Mammoth um, 
in episode five. So it, it does spend quite a bit of time building that up and then the team gelling. So while this is going on, so you've got this new team that's gelling, getting used to the mecha and all their functions and capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once they got used to that, we get the, the sort of mecha mode of it. And then, yeah, this, and then eventually... The humanoid mode where the, the sort humanoid of more mode. the traditional sort of uh, humanoid robot. And then eventually <laughs> that arc completes with a, with a two-parter where we finally introduced a Dankuka. Yeah, together. it takes a lot of time to get to the... Uh, the A lot more than a lot of um, other shows to get to the combination. But I like that. I like the way we get a good run of, you know, the, the sort of characters learning to work together as a team because they're... Because there's definitely some big personality clashes. Yeah, Rio and, yeah. and uh, Shinobu don't always get along too well. No, um, they don't hate each other, but at the same time, they're they're kind of quite have quite opposing views. Rio's a more zen sort of guy, and yeah, Shinobu's that's the right. more hot headed ace pilot who's like acts first and asks questions later. So there's the the gelling of them all, but then there's the whole kind of mecha um, strip feed of. The uh, the beast modes, the humanoid modes, and then finally, Dan Cougar. And I really like the way that it builds all that up. I like the fact it takes its time doing all of this. Yeah, because quite early, so in that second episode, we're introduced to the um, the kind of berserk mode mm. um, when the pilot's in, in angry. It, it unlocks this kind of you know superior being, and for. For the eagle, it, it basically just strengthens it, but for the others, it it converts them to from a tank into uh, an animal mode. Um, yeah. So they're all kind of like, I mean, those three are effectively triple changes, aren't they? Because they've yeah. got tank mode, humanoid mode, and animal mode. Exactly. Um, Whereas Shinobu's eagle kind of like has this feedback loop where psychic energy goes between him and the plane, and yeah. and then um, it kind of like encases it in energy, and he just basically obliterate something by flying into it sort of kamikaze style reminds me a little bit of the um the phoenix in uh, gachaman in its special ability yeah yeah that's right yeah and a lot of people talk about um the v max mode in Lasner um mm-hmm. as kind of this big thing of like this kind of berserk mode um for the mecha with you know when the pilot's in danger or you know angry or whatever but you know this came six months before Lazener did so mm-hmm. you know the Dankuga was kind of quite a way ahead of the curve in, in terms of that I mean as you say it, it's not the first instance of this kind of thing happening it's been happening over a decade previously um, but I, I know it's one of those things I always see the, the VMAX held up mm. and it's like no actually Dankuga yeah Dankuga got there first though kind of though uh, one's a little bit different isn't it because it's it's more just the sort of plain kind of it's more like the yeah. uh, the god phoenix's kind of uh special ability whereas in Dankuga we've got this loop of energy between the pilot that kind of uses the pilot's yeah. kind of spiritual energy or or sort of life force and the energy yeah. of the uh of the vehicle to kind of combine into a sort of deadly force <laughs> But it's um, but yeah, super power mode though it isn't. Mm, yeah, you know, it's oh, not, I get what you're saying. Not, yeah. it, it's not, you know. I, I, again, you kind of see a lot of things that it's. Um, I say, uh, Lazner is the one I often see kind of mm-hmm. held up with it. But it's oh like, yeah, no, it was, yeah, It's not a. It's not a new thing. Um, mm-hmm. So um, and then in parallel to that, you've got then what's going on with the Mug Empire. So mm-hmm. basically, after not seeing um, 
Shapiro. Shapiro in episode two, Shapiro then returns in this full, I don't know, this very, very strange outfit. Yeah, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of like the Romans almost. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, a, you know, he's got like this sort of like very kind of, it's like, a, it looks almost like a sort of half toga thing. Yeah. And he, but he's, he's, but he's like, he's very effeminate. Yeah. And he's very he's, kind of grand and sort of, you know, yeah. he's like, thinks a lot of himself and he's always, but he, he basically becomes like a sort of trusted advisor to Mugir. Because yeah. Mugi is kind of um, impressed by his betrayal and his kind of capacity for, yeah. for his capacity for, for uh, betrayal and skullduggery. So he kind of takes him on early and sort of, you know, like starts to trust him with his intel and things. Because Death Guy is basically the the, the main henchman for this mm. arc. Because um, basically each henchman has a go as being the lead, yeah. um, leading the, the, the Zorbados. <laughs> Uh, you know, attack through the series and, you and this feel and is, then get replaced. <laughs> yeah, you, and you know it's that trope, isn't it? No, you, you get second chance after second chance, a second chance, and eventually you get you know someone else gets a go, um, and th- and then that kind of sets up this friction, which again sets up this thing that that runs through the whole series, where Shapiro, with all his knowledge of Earth defense, because he's a very smart guy, you know, mm. he's very ambitious. You know, he was kind of even though he was young and in like the academy, he was still high ranking and obviously destined for higher things. He knows all yeah. this stuff and he He's gives all these earth secrets. That he knows, he yes, knows all sorts exactly. of things about military strategy. He talks about famous generals and their tactics and things and and he's a sort of scholar of history, so he knows how lots of key battles went in the past and uses that knowledge. So basically you have these two stories two parts run in parallel to other the basically development of the the CBF and 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 then Shapiro basically so he he's um he has this girl Luna mm. Rossi who's a, you know kind of assigned to him she's almost she's almost like a keeper um, yeah it's like an interface yeah. kind of between Muge and and Shapiro it's yeah it's uh, she's sort of there to kind of like govern him and sort of you know yeah. like make sure he He's sort of integrated with the aliens, really. But she sort of fulfills like a key role in the series that she is kind of the alien equivalent of Sarah in a way. Yeah, and she eventually, and you can see quite early on through this arc that actually there's there's a bit of affection there. Mm. Um, you know, you can see the way that she looks at him at times. There's a, there is a romantic element that that builds up. Um, mm. Shapiro effectively carries on. And all the way through, he's kind of one step ahead. And mm. eventually, all these kind of coincidences and, you know, the, the CBF team, which we um, forgot to uh, introduce as well. So he's led by uh, General Ross Iger and his head scientist, uh, Professor Hazuki. Um, so Hazuki is the one who's designed all of the, the mecha. Um, and Ross is uh, basically, he's the head honcho and he's leading this resistant, you know, the military resistance force. Um, but also you've also it shows a lot of like this earth resistance and there's a few episodes where the Zorbidos are like mm. give up the earth military and we'll we'll let you survive sort of thing and then they obviously go back on it as they always do um, and so there's all these kind of parallel bits run into it and and it leads to this suspicion in the CBF that it's like you know, it's like the Zorbidos couldn't know this stuff someone's got to be you know, selling yeah. selling the earth out basically, which is then Sarah gets this 
Um, you know, she gets like, the England that it's that Shapiro is definitely the one who's been feeding them information in itself. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that's quite interesting through this arc, and and it kind of happens throughout, but you get into these kind of in the middle of this arc, you get into this run of like quite kind of bleak, kind of dark episodes. Oh yeah, definitely. People, people who kind of show up. You know, if you've watched a lot of this stuff, you're like, oh, she's not going to see the end of the episode, or he's not going to see the episode. Uh, don't you? Um, and there's a lot of kids as well. I mean, like, episode yeah. seven, where like there's these kind of... Sort child of, soldiers, essentially. Child soldiers, yeah, led by Dan Aykroyd. Which <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some great character names in this show, there really is. There's a lot of American-influenced character names yeah. that are quite funny in this show. And yeah, Dan Aykroyd is is definitely is a character name in episode seven. Brilliant. Um, but you know that they all get wiped out by the end of the episode. I mean, it's not mm. so. You know, having seen especially Govarian, um, mm. you know, which is directed by Akuda as well. You know, it, it has that same same kind of bleakness to it. Mm. Definitely, um, Govarian is is very very dark in places. Um, I mean. Um... There's, there is a whole run of episodes like that. I mean, you've got the episode about their uh, former teacher, the Dean at the Space yeah, Academy, yeah. who taught them all, um, you know, sort of basic tactics and things. And he's this really kind of like quite pleasant, nice bloke who really who really loves his students. And he ends yeah. up basically like, you know, using himself as a sort of diversion and sacrifice to save all of his students. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's like, and it, but it, you know, he's such a nice character and he's so like, sort of, you know, just like, oh, you know, you need to, you never got a chance to graduate, you know, like here's your diplomas and everything. <laughs> and he's just like such a canny guy. And then yeah. he's, but then he just sort of like switches on this kind of military mode of, right, I'm going to let you guys get away and there's, there's nothing we can do. I'm going to die anyway. So I might as well buy you some time. And you're like, Christ, you <laughs> know. <laughs> We've just been introduced to this guy, and he's like quite a likable character, and already he's getting, he's going to get uh, destroyed. So the, the but there really is like so many episodes like this that um, have a very tragic sort of uh, end to them. I mean, um, and it's it does uh, it it's I think it's got a lot of a lot more dark episodes than a lot of uh, shows of the era that I've seen anyway. I certainly feel like it's got more of a grim tone. Yeah, um, like I say, when like. Govarian very much had that, and I, I've I feel, not seen Govarian. I've, I've definitely not seen that one. So yeah, I, I've, I've watched it <clears throat> again. I've got the discotheque Blu-ray of that, and I've watched it not long ago. And yeah, it's definitely got that that dark tone to it um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, but you know, all the way through this first arc, we've got attack with chemical weapons. We've got attack, you know, the nuclear threat, which is mm. you know every always in every. Thing, you know that nuclear paranoia there's there's all of that we also get this young girl who kind of gets rescued laura who who joins mm-hmm. the the cbf as well and her joining is one of those things that kind of kind of one of my gets into or kicks off one of my main gripes is a bit like with macros seven mm-hmm. is that that flipping harmony love song yeah that gets sung repeatedly it's mm. it's just it's really, I don't know. It's a bit, it's a bit basic. It's a bit lame, but it's like sung it's a bit repeatedly. Bland. Bit yeah, bland. it's ad infinitum. Yeah, yeah, we get it sung in like loads of episodes. It's sort of a plot point, but they don't really like follow up on it for a long time. Yeah, 
And that makes it annoying because there's there's a thing that I hate in most TV uh, and film where characters just are bad at communicating with each other and telling each other things. And a lot of drama could have been avoided if two characters had just had a conversation about something. <laughs> and that is definitely the case with this because Shapiro sang this song to Sarah. She recognises the song. But the, she never has a conversation with Shinobu about it until much, much later yeah, in the series. Yeah. In fact, he tries to have... I'm sure there's some mention of it and then he tries to have a conversation with her, but she shuts it down. And that's what's frustrating about her character is there's so many times when she could just tell Shinobu something and she doesn't. And yeah. it just makes a sort of, a, you know, a plot point drag on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it does eventually get somewhat resolved, but it's it's um, it's just kind of feels a bit unnecessary and ancillary to the plot, really. Yeah, and it's just sung over and over and over. Mm. Um, and it's just one of those things that I just found just kind of grated on me. Yeah, it um, is a little bit of a tip in that. A little bit. Because um, that's a lot of kind of happens towards the end as well. Because it, it all kind of, in all these arcs, it kind of ramps up a bit. Do you know what I mean? It's There's always mm. a constant threat. But I think each arc kind of builds up to something, kind of resets a little bit, then builds up again. Because mm. the other thing Definitely. in episode 11, um, again, where it's kind of building this mystery that I, I think does, um, and kind of introducing stuff, is we get the introduction mm-hmm. of the Black Knight mm-hmm. in episode 11, where, you yeah. know, the, the CB are in in peril and they get the upgrade to the humanoid form um, and the Black Knight kind of helps them out. Yeah, he's this mysterious sort of figure who's kind of like yeah. an urban legend, isn't he? Yeah. The, the, the villagers in this place talk about this Black Knight helping them yeah. out of nowhere. They, nobody knows who he is. So this becomes a big thread through the series is who is this Black Knight? Is he somebody that has a connection with the CPF or, or the Earth Forces, you know, or possibly the... Um, you know, the is he somebody the pilots know, and that becomes a, a you know another one of these kind of um, hooks throughout the series. So it all builds up to this kind of big battle where again the CBF are in big peril and they they need that extra push again. And this is where through this, it's Hazuki is kind of keeps alluding that there's all this stuff that he's got ready to go. Mm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of like hints at future sort of uh, things that he's got up his sleeve. Um, and there's all this kind of stuff about they're not ready for for anything and um, mm. and whatever. He goes quite hard on them for that yeah. reason because he sort of feels like they're not ready to, for like the kind of final assault and the kind of final phase of the plan. And he they keep a lot of stuff close to the chest about what they intend to do, much to Shinobu's frustration. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And eventually, it's like, well, Dan Kuga and uh, the. the <laughs> made me laugh as well the THX 1138 protocol yeah <laughs> that's right because the the code to activate Dan Cougar is THX 1138 which uh, anyone who knows something about George Lucas will know is his kind of <laughs> student film wasn't it the that's sort right of yeah precursor to Star Wars the sort of bleak future society sort of uh, movie that he made um, and there's lots of little like there's lots of little like sort of uh, references like that in the show um, there's lots of little things that are, that you know allude to sort of classic science fiction stuff that are, that are, that yeah. are pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, there's loads of there's loads of little um, little bits like that for it. Um, and then you get the you know this sequence. And what I think is quite interesting here is actually that under all the stress and this kind of friction, as you alluded to earlier, between 
Shinobu and Ryo that Ryo then aborts the transformation in episode 15. So just when you think you're going to see Dan Kuga, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> and they make you, you wait another the episode. episode. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's good though because it sort of serves the characters in a strange way, you know. Yeah, it's like it, the, absolutely, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's because because of these these rivalries, and you know we we haven't went into this very much, but there's a lot of rivalry mm. between the generals in in the Mugi Empire as well, and that mm. becomes such a key facet of the show. There's so much backstabbing, yeah, where um, other characters are wanting to get back at Shapiro because he did something that belittled them and yeah. sort of you know put their plans that were that were previously in Mugi's favor on the back burner in 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 favour of Shapiro. So there's a lot of back and forth between those characters, a lot of plotting, and a lot of, you know, the, everyone wants to remove Shapiro and be the sort of yeah. you know, the prominent general. And that creates some really interesting episodes where there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of betrayal and skullduggery going on. Yeah. And it's also, really good stuff. It is. And I think that first arc actually establishes all of that really, really mm-hmm. well. It puts yeah. all of that in place. Cause another character that's kind of worth mentioning, um, there's a couple. So you, there's this character called uh, Bistori, who's like, he's like kind of like a head henchman, like sub henchman, mm. isn't he? Um, yeah. And he doesn't always kind of go with or trust what like Death Gaia is doing. Um, mm. There's always a bit of mistrust between between him. Um, and the other thing as well is that the um, the, the, the cyber beast force the the tanks are transported in this big aircraft and and we get a classic heroic death by its mm. um pilot general Geralt, you know who mm. who sacrifices himself um which again is a bit of a running theme through dan mm. <laughs> it's one of the most spectacular blaze of glory Glories deaths yeah. you will ever see <laughs> <laughs> probably in the history of any medium <laughs> It is absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, that that guy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he he literally unloads every weapon on the way to his uh, demise that he possibly can. <laughs> he does go down in a proper blaze of glory, a proper blaze of glory. Um, so once that, and actually, just before we move off the first start, one of the things, uh, just reading up on Dan, you know some history of Dan Kuga, actually, it was it, it would appear that the the very very late reveal of Dan Kugo actually uh, was a bit contentious in Japan when it aired. Mm. Um, I, it would have, yeah, aware just no, it's, yeah, I wasn't aware of it either. I was just just reading some stuff, and um, yeah, it would just again, it's kind of anecdotal stuff. How factually accurate it is, but um, um, I saw two sources that didn't look like one was referencing the other. That kind of basically said that the fact that it took a whole 16 episodes to reveal the titular Mecca was a bit something. I think it was people were expecting it to have turned up a lot sooner because typically within <laughs> four or five episodes of a show, yeah. you've, you've got all the main Mecca kind of released. Assembled. Yeah. yeah. Um, and typically for a show of this length, the 26th episode or whatever, you're getting into the point where you're heading towards mid-series upgrade, not just yeah. revealing the Mecca now sort of thing but but mm. i mean having said that 
you almost, you could almost say it is the, the mid series upgrade, isn't it? Because you've had the yeah, you've got the more four, to come after that as well. You've got the Jusenki Tai, which are the you know the four Cyber Beast Force, and then mm-hmm. and then the upgrade of those four Mecha, which all have a humanoid form, mm. is then yeah. Dan Cougar. So yeah, you could argue it that way, but yeah, it was interesting Absolutely. that it that apparently it it was a bit a bit contentious. Before we uh, we get off the uh, first arc, I have to mention we were talking about dark episodes. There's an episode with kids uh, that basically decides to take on the aliens with a nuke. Yes, as well, that's right. Yeah, which is yeah. absolutely nuts. Yeah, it's like the, these kids have proclaimed the adults in their uh, in their sort of like yeah. um, in their area like cowards, and they basically have this kind of um, makeshift kind of um, vehicle thing. Yeah. Which I think they call like the Triceratops or something. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And it's basically got a nuke attached to the front of it and they're <laughs> and it's, <laughs> they're gonna t- take them on with a with a nuke and it's like I know you think the adults are cowards, but talk about uh, going from one extreme to the other, don't you mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a it's a crazy episode that one. There's, there's some there is some really wild ones. Yeah. In terms of uh you know, not just how dark they are, but in terms of like the kind of just the uh, the premises of them are quite are quite crazy at times. Yeah, that's right. But they're all I mean they're always grounded in a way that the characters are well explained and it's not just you know wild for the sake of being wild, but but they are like memorable, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so that arc essentially gets kind of ends so Death Guy gets defeated in episode seventeen and is kind of essentially relieved of duty and this is where Gil Dorham basically takes over as the, the main protagonist. Mm. Um, you get him and his battle against the CBF, and we get into another run of very, very kind of dark episodes again, another run oh, of like yeah. four or five episodes, which absolutely even, even bleaker than what's gone on in that first arc um, in there. There's, it's like very, um, and I think really kind of starting with like episode nineteen, where and this mm. is and this is where I was about to mention that one, yeah, yeah, with, on. the, with the night terrors, um, you know, it's yeah, because it's like an almost horror episode, yeah, episode yeah. nineteen. Well, not even almost, it is really, yeah, because um, it's it's concerning like the sole survivor of a massacre, this guy called Brian. Um, he's he's got like these, as you say, night terrors. While he sleeps, he has these horrible nightmares, and yeah. it turns out that he was put into some sort of trance-like state by the enemy while he was asleep and he was hallucinating yeah. his fellow soldier in love interest, uh, Charlotte, as some sort of monster. Yeah. And he ends up sort of uh, shooting her yeah. in horror and yeah. not realising it's her. Yeah. And then he realises when he wakes up that actually he's just killed the woman he loves. Yeah, that's right, it's, yeah. It's really quite freaky, you know. You, you see these soldiers all sort of... Um, kind of being activated by the enemy mm. and all turned on each other and firing and they've got these um these glowing eyes, you know? Yeah. It's it's very, very uh very sort of horror oriented. And and this is where Gil Doran, his methods, whereas Death Guy mm. and Helmer are just kind of brutes, basically, you know Muscle. They're the sort of they're the kind of, you know the 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 typical sort of uh, you know, military might sort of characters. Yeah. Uh, Gil Dorham is very much a psychological warfare mm. kind of guy, isn't he? And he's, he yeah, does all he's these... basically subterfuge and psychological um, terror. And I think that's quite interesting again because I think that again, Kuda is pulling stuff from psych, like from Govarian and even from Irashiman because Irashiman has 
elements of of that in it as mm. as well. So, um, but yeah, it's really it kind of really amps it up with Gil Dorham in charge. Um, it really yeah, it does because really... he's he's probably the most successful general yes, out of them all yeah. because his methods are like. But yeah, probably are the most effective because he's getting essentially getting the enemy to kill each other quite yeah, often. Yeah, yeah. And it's not the only time he does that. You know, he has other sort of plots that result in confusion and hallucinations and things. Yeah, but that episode nineteen though, you talking about Brian at the end where he dies, sees that like Charlotte's forgiven him and goes off. I mean, it's just like it's you know we talk about this over and over again and we will talk about this over and over again as we, we will do. yeah but it's just but that it's, but it's just a it's recurring just, theme that you can't help but discuss because it's it's you, you know, know it's, it's in a lot of these shows yeah you know and it's just there for kids <laughs> it's yeah, just like exactly uh yeah okay <laughs> just <laughs> but i mean it is an emotional gut punch because like you say he sees he sees charlotte and he's he's kind of Essentially, to him, as he's dying, that's his sort of. To him, that signals he's been forgiven, so he can die in peace. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, and you know, like despite the best efforts to save him, he dies because he ends up getting um, killed by the enemy mecha. So there's like no chance of him surviving because he pretty much just gets crushed by it, doesn't he? So, yeah, yeah, and it's and you know we we get another one straight after that about the female soldiers yeah. being controlled by this flower with yeah. pheromones in it yeah. that leads them to become killers. So you've got an elite female team of the uh, the Earth forces end up becoming murderers. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's yeah, it's just really bleak again. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but throughout this arc, again, we, we get more kind of sporadic appearances of the Black Knight as well, who kind of mm-hmm. comes up and helps them and then essentially then at the end of this arc we get the reveal of of who the black knight is gilderham he fails in his attempts you know he's he's get he's beaten again and this is where this kind of whole like backstabbing within you know the zorbados empire because the story basically stitches up gilderham um sort of shots him yeah. to shapiro basically mm-hmm. but Ultimately, Gildorum ends up shooting Bistori as a bit of a backstabber anyway. <laughs> a few episodes yeah. later, it's all... <laughs> <you know. laughs> I think uh, the thing that uh, strikes me is that the enemy characters are almost as good as the uh, as the Yeah, heroes, yeah, like, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. This this show just has really strong bad guys in it. Yeah. Who, you know, they're not just scheming and sort of, you know, they're not two-dimensional. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of sides to them Yeah. that we get to see. I mean, some of them more than others. I mean, Death Guy is pro- like probably more of a two-dimensional sort of hothead. Yeah. I'm going to be the best and the most sort of skilled. But the others, I mean, Luna and uh, Gilderom are really interesting characters. There's just so much going on with that yeah. sort of B plot of uh, of the sort of subterfuge between them all. Yeah, definitely. But it gets really interesting at times, and you ju- you're just as entertained whenever they're on screen as when you are in the, the CBF. Yeah, definitely. Because when we get into this kind of the final act of of Dan Cougar, um, so we're going to get into some stuff which. To talk about the, the final arc, you do have to get into kind of spoiler territory a little bit. So we're just going to give you that yeah, warning. Yeah. We're just going to give you that warning now. Um, so maybe for the, the last kind of 10 minutes of this section. Unfortunately, you, you can't avoid talking about it without kind of reviewing this section. So 
So basically, the the Black Knight is revealed to be Ross Iger's son, Alan, um, and it kind of kicks off a whole load of father son tension and mm. sort yeah. of family politics that 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 runs through the final arc. Also, that's quite interesting here as well is that you, as we get into this final arc, you know, the, it's been sort of referred to through the series now, but you kind of really see that mental strain piled on the pilots by piloting Dan Cougar. You get this bit as well where Sarah gets hurt and Ross basically implies that she's replaceable. She's an expendable Mm. unit, which, you know, really gets uh, Shinobu's backup. Um, Mm. And then here we get into, um, obviously, then Helmet taking over as well. And it's this all now gets into a bit that really kind of sets the the stones for the really the where the where the finale ends and really kind of gets mm-hmm. into the meat of the finale in the like the last kind of four episodes of the TV series um there's some quite bit interesting bits here cuz like you say about the you know the the Muge empire his final act is he's basically created this sort of replica CBF mm-hmm. which the CBF do have to kind of fight it's a mirror of themselves um but there's also a bit here that I, I did find quite, you know, we talk about American influence and certainly Star Wars influence. Mm-hmm. In episode 28, there's a bit where basically um, Helmet sends out all these probes to go and scout. And it's very much mm-hmm. like the beginning of The Empire Strikes Back. Because yes. Masato and Laura are basically playing about and he sees one of these video drones and he shoots it. And that basically indicates, basically gives away yeah. where the, the CBF base is and, and allows... Um, helmet to attack the CBF base, mm-hmm. um, and that's very much like the beginning of the Empire Strikes Back because that's how with the Imperial probe, yeah, that, yeah. that's how Vader basically finds out where the uh, the rebels are hiding on on Hoth. You know, there's lots of mm-hmm. lots of little bits all the way along through this, which uh, which kind of give it away, and that gets into like another two parter um, with that attack on the mm-hmm. base, which you know. Dan Cougar does really well. It kind of builds these episodes and it kind of has these like real crunch mm. episodes and it'll often put them into a two-parter. Um, yeah. There's a lot of uh, multi-part um, episodes there. King. Yeah. You know, the, I believe that the um, I believe that the uh, first introduction of Dan Cougar is a two-parter. Yeah. Then, you know, you've got other ones with key sort of things that, that also have two-parts and they're always really good episodes yeah, as well. You know, yeah, yeah. The key to the plot, and they're really quite edgy your seat, and you need to watch the next one as well. And then that leads us... So into that two-parter, we get um, basically the next thing that Hazuki has been alluding to with his, with his genius, and and basically the, the Gundor base, which is triggered by THX 1139 um, as well, which, <laughs> which uh, always brings a smile to my face. Just always, always brings a smile to my face. Yeah. Because he makes some sort of allusion to this uh, invention, Gundor. Yeah. He talks about a dragon, yeah. and he says he says something, some sort of proverb or yeah. saying that a hastily awakened dragon is seldom needed. Because they talk about how when they when they activate this weapon that they've got, they once activated, it'll have a finite amount. Yeah, one hundred eighty three days of so energy, they, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So they need to make sure that they activate this weapon at the right time. Otherwise, it could be detrimental to the kind of final attack. So it sort of alludes alludes to this, and the, then we get this reveal of Gundor, which is a pretty spectacular yeah. uh, reveal indeed. And that ultimately then leads, you know, again, we're not getting into too many spoilers, but basically then it just amps up 
And now that Gundor's launched, Shapiro and Helmer are kind of getting more desperate in their attacks. Um, and it basically starts to move the story into space. They get Shapiro forms space, a moon base, yeah. doesn't he? And then you know, and then the, the, there's basically a, um, a point in the series where they need to launch a final assault on the moon base, and that's kind of where the the final arc sort of begins. Yeah. and so. The, through these episodes, you know, we get the death of some more key characters, you know, in glorious, further blazes of glory, basically, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's a real running, a running theme with heroic deaths. So after defeating the moon base, they retreat to Mars and the asteroid belt and it moves, you know, and the fight moves on to there. Um, so basically all the, the, you know, Death Gaia and, and Gil Doran, they, uh, they all reappear later in the series as well. One of the things that does annoy me with the, the cat and mouse with Shapiro and, and Saru is that very, very late in the series, when they're on that kind of asteroid base, Shapiro has about six chances to kill. He's standing over her with a lightsaber, <laughs> which is essentially what it is, and like yeah. just doesn't just doesn't kill her. And it's, just, and it's one of yeah. those bits that... Because it, it plays out through the whole episode, and it just one of those little bits that just kind of annoyed me. Because it's just, it's ridiculous. You just, you know, mm. for a show that sort of prides itself on having a lot of quite good character interaction stuff, and you know, it's for a sci-fi show. You know, it has some really good ideas and characterization in it, and has some really good and realistic character relationships. That does stand out yeah. to me as being a little bit sort of, you know. In another show, it wouldn't seem out of place, but this show does such a good job in other respects yeah. that that did annoy me as well. Because it's like, oh come on, you know, it's you know, it, it, if it was any other sort of, uh, if it was a character that wasn't a key character, that had been dead. Yeah, I know. It's just it's just one of those things because he literally over the course of like you know half the, half an episode, he has so many chances to kill mm. her, and he just doesn't because there's that kind of relationship. But at this point, he's. Shapiro is really, really desperate with with what's with what's happened because everything's fallen apart. Luna's stitched mm-hmm. him up and stabbed mm-hmm. him in the back, and he's all alone with with his force. And he ends up fighting. Yeah, he quite literally gets stabbed. He does. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know his his army, you know he, the remnants of his kind of forces loyal to him end up fighting Gildorum, and it, yeah, it's um. So and he kind of loses everything, which then leads us to the final episode and the conclusion of the TV series. And this is where, oh, this is the for me, this is the weakest part of Dan Coogan TV series, because mm. so basically we get the reappearance of Death Gaia and he's talking to mm-hmm. Emperor Mugay, and Mugay basically asks him to kind of complete the mission. Gondor hasn't got enough power to go to. You know, they realise they've got to take the fight to, to Mugay and they've got to kind of travel through sort of hyperspace to get there. And Gundor doesn't have energy. Mm. And basically, Gundor fires, blasts Dankuga through hyperspace, which in the yeah. process of blasting through Gildorum's um, sort of final mecha, um, and, and off they go into hyperspace, and basically, it finishes. 
So it builds up this whole kind of yeah, reveal cause... and sets up this next mm-hmm. stage and then does nothing with it. See, although I get your point, I think that for me, now knowing that it is resolved, haven't seen it before, it doesn't feel as much of a weakness. But on a first viewing, I can see why that is annoying. Because essentially, um, there's this question as to whether they'll be able to return from yeah. the sort of hyperspatial... Because they have to break through the hyperspatial barrier to get to the alien realm. The alien dimension where uh, Moogie is. So they take out Gilderom and, unfortunately, Luna as well, which I'm, I'm not sure she quite deserved that. But yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway... They're on the, the basically at the end of the series, they're on their journey to the final confrontation with Muge, which we don't see, but we see this kind of hopeful kind of ending in which uh, Professor Hazuki and Laura are talking about whether they'll be able to yeah. get back or not. Because Hazuki posits that he could p- possibly take Gundor back to Earth and recharge it and come back for them, but that. But in that interim, you know, will they be in too much danger? So will they be able to make it back or not? So we're left with this big question mark at the end of the series, which I can imagine if you're watching it as it aired would be incredibly frustrating. But knowing that it does get resolved in the OVA yeah. somewhat is um, it makes it a yeah. bit easier to swallow for me. To me, it's it's one of those things. It just as the series has been so good up until that point to go mm. out with so much unresolved. And set mm. something up which basically doesn't. I know the OVA comes, but the TV, like as the ending of a TV series, I don't. I, t- I take you it, mean, it, yeah. It's still yeah. it's one of those Absolutely. things. Years it, a week, it really, uh, and in some ways, it really. If you're taking it as a TV series on its own, yeah, because it's one of those things. Because it almost feels like it got cancelled, although basically I can't can find nothing that suggests that it was. But it, do you know what mm. I mean? It kind of feels. Like there yeah. was, uh, it, everything I've read suggests this was always going to be like a three core TV series and it was never cancelled mm-hmm. and there was never a, a fourth core that, that never got made, basically. And if you look at TV series and stuff that like Idion and Gundam and, and whatever that, that got cancelled and, and wrapped up, you know, it has that feeling of a series that got cancelled, basically, mm-hmm. and then just kind of wrapped things up without really wrapping things up so to speak um i don't yeah i see i do get your point in that way i mean i take it as a complete unit as a tv series on its own it definitely leaves you wanting although there are some pretty although i do i do think that it is a good episode in the way that it's pretty yeah epic, oh yeah in the it, way they just obliterate yeah. the obliterate gilderome by just <laughs> flying through them it's uh, it's quite a, a fitting end to such a uh, to such a sort of uh, evil character, but yeah, it's it's I mean it's a high quality episode in terms of its content, but yes, it definitely leaves you wanting. Yeah. And, and you know, if you didn't know the OVA was going to resolve things, that would make for a frustrating ending. Yeah, because the OVA came four months later, which probably means I don't know. It it feels like they either ran out of time, they didn't quite know how to finish it. I, I don't know. It it feels, it just feels very incomplete. At this point, it's worth talking about Requiem for Victims because it's it's a 90-minute OVA, mm. but basically the first 50 minutes is a recap of the TV series. And then you basically mm. get about 40 minutes of like the new story that actually closes out the, the main Dan Cougar 
story arc um, and actually gives it a, mm-hmm. a proper ending. So mm-hmm. basically, you know, as we said, Dan Cougar's flying through um, space and uh, hyperspace and get to Muge's kind of realm where Death Gaia is. We then get into this kind of mega battle and then we get this reveal who Muge is and, and Muge is basically this kind of ultimate evolution of the of the human being, isn't he? Um, yeah. And interestingly, what we thought was his face for the whole series is yeah. actually a mask, which I thought was quite a yeah. cool reveal. It's always nice when you get a kind of a cool reveal for the sort of uh, for the you know for the kind of um, the uh, the antagonist. Um, I always enjoy it when you you do have quite an interesting uh, villain in mecha shows that is kind of has some sort of reveal yeah. at the end. And then we get this this kind of fight between Death Gaia and Dan Cougar, and Death Gaia is is finally defeated in a really really violent violent <laughs> <laughs> fashion yeah. as well, isn't it? <laughs> There's some great uh, bad guy deaths in this show. There really is. There's, uh, they they do pull out the stops when it comes to annihilating them, because <laughs> quite often they're they're entirely destroyed. Yeah. Like you know, there's like nothing <laughs> left. <laughs> um, and then the other kind of gripe I have with this is that Muge is just killed really easily by Dan Is I I, I just yeah. found it a little bit anticlimactic. Yeah, it is a little bit. I mean, that is that is. Uh, I do think it's a good conclusion to the series yeah, in many I, ways, but that is one thing that I'm not entirely happy with. Is that I would have liked at least a couple of minutes of battle yeah, between the yeah. two of them, like a big epic fight. But it is quite one sided. It, it's very. I think the thing about Dan Cougar as a whole is that the the team's abilities and you know sort of are just so kind of badass. I mean, like. Quite often, enemy mecha get like punched into oblivion and impaled by Dan yeah. fist and things like that. Like, there's a we talked about overkill um, as early as the Daltanius episode, and there's a lot yeah, of overkill yeah, of, uh, of enemies in this, where you just think like, you know, it's almost like the plot forces them to have it out a bit longer than actually they would last in real life against those abilities. <laughs> It's because it always comes down to in a lot of Super Robot shows is like you know using some sort of ultimate yeah. attack. They probably could have done that at the beginning, but you know there has to be a bit of yeah, battle first. Yeah. And there's definitely some of that in this. We just think they they yeah, had no definitely. chance. They really didn't have a chance at all. <laughs> and you get so a little bit anticlimactic in that way. Yeah, and then ultimately um, you kind of get this sort of frame of text through the explosion, and then. Dan Cougar floating through space is then rescued by Gundor and, you know, it kind of closes the loop on it. And it's just a bit weird because it, for me, really, this just could have easily been episode 39 of the TV series and yeah. closed it out and really neatly mm. kind of closed it out. And it's it's really strange why they did that with the TV series and then kind of... Yeah, because because it's only like you said, like about four months later, it was released. So it seems odd that they would leave that then, only to return to it four months later. But on the bright side, I mean, it, it, does, do get, it does get it does get that conclusion, can, yeah. Because imagine if yeah. it hadn't actually finished. My God, that would have been so disappointing. But at least we've got it, and you know you have to go through, you know, something like forty minutes of recap to get to the good stuff. But but it's. But you know, it's as a sort of whole. I think as an OVA, it's it is quite it is quite satisfying. It's just a little yeah. 
about the battle between the two of them at the end could have been a lot more punchy and sort of uh, the final battle between Dan Cougar and Mugi could have been uh, at least drawn out. Yeah, because it's a, it's frustrating that so much of the OVA is given over to the recap. Um, mm. Because it's definitely, and the thing is, it's it, I, like there is a, like a marked improvement in the animation in that new mm. forty minutes of footage at the end. And it's not even, and yeah. it's kind of about two episodes worth of, of new animation. Um, and it's just, so it's difficult to understand kind of what happened, why they didn't just wrap up the tea. Production yeah. wise. Came so soon after the, why, why have all that recap? Because again, it's not really, I don't think it's particularly like most recap stuff. It, it skips over an awful lot and doesn't actually kind of work as much of a, I mean, I personally don't think it works particularly well as a no, um, no, as a recap. Agree. So you've you've given all that over. Yeah, I don't know. It's just that whole end bit to it. Just it's mm-hmm. it's clunky and it's just all. I yeah, it's strange. I don't know. It just uh, yeah, it is frustrating, just frustrating it, that it spends so much time getting to the uh, final confrontation after you've already just yeah. watched all that stuff. I mean, had it not been for a review. I would have been tempted to just skip to the final confrontation after watching episode uh, 38 and just, you know, for my own kind of pleasure, just uh, viewing, just to sort of go straight to that. But since we're, you know, we're reviewing it critically, you know, I obviously, you know, wanted to watch everything. And But had I just been watching it on my own, I might have just kind of skipped straight to the good stuff, really. Yeah, because... <laughs> Which is not something I often do. You know, even when I'm watching in sort of terms of like my own enjoyment, I I off I don't really skip recaps and things and that sort of thing. But I but in this case, I probably would. So when I watched it originally, kind of whenever about eighteen or nineteen years ago, like the OVAs weren't available, so I only watched the TV series, which had that ending, which was like mm-hmm. really. And then, uh, yeah. yeah so then, much. and then. <laughs> A few years after that, I then watched Requiem for Victims and saw it. When I watched the mm-hmm. Blu-ray, the, the fan sub based on the Japanese Blu-ray, I didn't bother watching the mm-hmm. recap bit of Requiem for Victims. I just watched episode 38 and then just watched the 40 minutes of mm-hmm. the actual ending. Yeah, um, I don't blame But you. for this, having... <laughs> I mean, that was, I say, eight or nine years ago. So for this review, I did watch all of Requiem for Victims to kind of remind myself what the recap mm. was like and saying it was yeah. bit, it was clunky so uh, same here as, as you say at least it gets a conclusion but even then i don't think mm. it's a very very strong conclusion you know i think I, mm. I as a series i think the whole ending of it is it's is its weakest um absolutely it's but for me it's more the way that it's broken up and the format of it than the actual content like i say although the the final fight's a little bit anticlimactic, but I I would say, you know, it's the sort of thing where if you were to produce some sort of fan edit, it would improve it significantly. Yeah, <laughs> the thing is, is to have that that kind of big reveal. I think it just could have. There's just more to mine in it, I think, than that. Mm, yeah, definitely, because like we say, we've got all these rich yeah. characters on both sides, on the good and evil sides. That you definitely could have done more with it, um, not just with the final confrontation, but there was just that, there was just some more there to yeah, my character. Yeah, that, that whole just revealing, you know, you know Mugi's real identity five minutes before the end of the, you know, 
five minutes you before know, he's going to die. Right at the end of <laughs> end of the OVA, and then that's it. I just yeah, it's just yeah. There's just so much more. He was quite a good villain. Yeah, to exactly. Waste, and I think that's my frustration with the conclusion of it. You know, because it does such mm. a good job of. I get that. And you know, ramping stuff up, and you know, the, the back and forth between you know the say the the antagonist side is as interesting as the protagonist side, and and just to kind of just not really explore it explore and, and deliver, and and what could have really been a really really good conclusion. I think I think you could have had a few episodes of just re re sort of developing that those sort of four or five episodes and. and incorporating Muge's real identity and what it is and what that really means to human beings because that because that isn't really kind of explored or yeah and that would be like a major yeah. major revelation in a lot of other shows that would affect the morale yeah. of the characters and like you know like there's you know there's there's quite a few shows where there's a devastating bombshell about yeah. the enemy um or the origin of the enemy or what yeah. they're fighting that actually kind of makes them question we shouldn't yeah. fight anymore and there's 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 so much that could have been mined with that i agree that it's it really is quite disappointing in that way so it's it's very mixed feelings for yeah. me on the ending because there's a lot i love mm. and there's a lot that i hate that's just more to do with the format of finishing with an ova be really interesting to know more about the production history yeah, of the show and, and yeah, how that there's, came there's about. There's nothing out there at the strange. moment. Well, I don't know. It feels like something's happened. You know, when you look at, the, as I said before, the history mm. of kind of production history of, of previous other shows. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's a real, it's a real oddity. Um, but part of me, though, it reminds me a little bit of Yurashiman because I think like Yurashiman is one of these shows that is full of really, really, really good ideas that just aren't developed or explored at all through the series um and it feels yeah. like akuda um you know kind of had this developed this show and stuff but still hadn't quite figured it all out really um mm. so it's a shame that the show has so many ideas that it almost can't fulfill them all rather than the opposite because in some ways, that's more frustrating, especially when the rest of the show is yeah, so Yeah, I know. Good. I know. I would have loved to have seen some of these things explored in more detail, but I guess that's part of the uh, limitations of producing a show that has yeah, to air within yeah. a certain time frame. Not everything can be explored, and certain shows have done a lot worse job of, of juggling all that and you know left you just thinking, well, what was all that about? At least we get some sort of resolution with Dan Cougar compared to some of the shows which just like completely drop plot points and yeah. things. So there's there's that I guess. But before we give a rating, can I just briefly talk about uh yeah. two other uh, away, episodes yeah. that I really loved. That uh yeah, so there's also an episode um with uh, an alien soldier that defects from the enemy and he basically resembles Frankenstein's yeah, yes, monster yeah. <laughs> and one of the kids has a Frankenstein yeah. mask and he thinks that it's Frankenstein's <laughs> monster and he's like oh well he, he's he's nice to kids in in the movie you know like he, he, yeah. we, we should help him and and so they kind of nurse him back to health and have this really sweet relationship with him and he grows to like really like them and stuff and then the enemy come <laughs> and then things get a bit dark and you know 
going with the theme of the show, he ends yeah. up sacrificing himself yeah. to save the kids. And it's like really dark, but there's there's another one. Um, being a big fan of Fist of the North Star, I also have to talk about this episode that seems massively influenced by the yes, post-apocalyptic yes. future genre, which is an episode I absolutely loved. Um, so it's episode 23. So seemingly this episode seems to be inspired by the likes of yeah, Mad Max, yeah, Fist of the North Star yeah. and Violence Jack. Because we have these post-apocalyptic yeah. sort of punks yeah. who are like murderers, who are later revealed yeah. to be cyborgs, um, which is you know why they're so strong. And there's a scene where they crush this poor kid's arm, um, and Rio sort of forms a friendship with this kid and wants to get revenge for him. But it's really interesting because the murderers have these post-apocalyptic fashion things going yeah, on with the shoulder yeah. pads and spikes and makeup. And shades and stuff, and they they really look like they could be somebody yes, that Kenshiro yeah. would kill as disposable enemies. Yeah, they are definitely this uh, is the North Star extras, aren't they? North yeah. Star. And I mean, considering Dan Cougar was released in 1985, that was the year that not only was the Fist of the North Star manga still ongoing at that point, Mad Max Beyond yeah. Thunderdome came out, and Violence Jack had its, I think, third manga series by that point. I might be wrong. But I think that was one of the ones that Gonagai... I'm not sure if that was one of the ones Gonagai did or whether that was one another artist or writer did. But certainly there was a Violence Jack manga at the time as well. And being in that era, you know, I feel like that stuff was still very fresh yeah, in people's yeah. minds and it was something that people were still really into yeah. at the time. So it feels like the, they've decided, what can we do that won't be too detracting from the mecha side of things? And so they have these kind of one-off films. But interestingly, at the end of the episode, the main mecha looks like a big post-apocalyptic yeah. <laughs> punk. He's like this big robotic punk. <laughs> I just really loved that episode. I just thought it was like, it's quite a departure from some of the other ones, but it still sort of fits. And it yeah, was really yeah. well done. I just thought that was a great little homage to a totally different genre of anime, and I loved it. <laughs> and also American movies. Yeah, back yeah. It does fit a lot of those, mm. a lot of that stuff in, because um, Metal Armor Dragonar has a load of characters in it that basically look like extras from um, Fist and North Star as well. So it was, you know, its influence <laughs> was um, was huge, wasn't it? Huge. It was really yeah. good. It's quite interesting when you look at the whole sort of, you know, that whole era with uh, with yeah. Mad Max and Fist and North Star and the way Hollywood and Japan were sort of uh, imitating each other. It's quite fascinating. Definitely something that I'm quite interested in. So let's have a talk about some of the production and mm-hmm. the mecha and, and some of the dig into some of the characters a little bit before we kind of 
wrap things up and, and give our final ratings on it. So I think the big thing to talk about is obviously, as mentioned in the introduction, this was Masami Abari's debut as a mecha designer mm-hmm. in, in anime. Um, and, you know, the Dankuga is just such an iconic design. I really, really do like it. I think all the individual parts yeah, um, and the way they combine um, into the into the Dankuga is... Um, is a really really epic design and it's interesting because it's one of these things arguments about dan cougar is it a real robot show with super robot Mm. elements or is it a super robot show with real robot elements in it because it is a real mix isn't it i mean yeah because it because as a story it is very very much a real robot show Mm. i think Mm -hmm. but then you have these certainly dan cougar is very much a super robot yeah in in many ways isn't it because there's a sort of almost spiritual side to the show because of the fact yeah. that you know you've got the uh, the energy of the pilots. Um, there's discussion about like the fact that the machines are like gods and stuff, and there's yeah, yeah, and so it has that sort of super robot element. Uh, we've talked about just how overpowered and badass they are as well, and just you know the way they make absolute junk out of the enemy quite often. Yeah, yeah. So it is almost like they're these kind of. Uh, you know, it's got the real robot sort of background. It's very military esque. Yeah. You know, the CBF are a kind of elite team and that sort of thing. But essentially, the robots are super robots in terms of their power and the nature yeah. of them. Because the story is very, you know, it's very real robot. It's mm. all played very, very straight. You know, yeah. like a kind of real robot show. Um, mm-hmm. But but essentially, at the core of it is this super robot. Um, but it is just such an epic design, and you can see. I think it's quite interesting on the design because there are elements. I think as kind of super robots moves kind of out of some of their fantastical phase into hmm. um, a more real world set, more real world thing. Because Dan Kuga has this phenomenally very you know phenomenal very long transformation sequence with some hmm. very cool music <laughs> that goes in it, which I'll which I'll include. A bit like we talked about uh, Daltanius, you know, a very kind of particular. All the bits going together as the yeah. uh, as the four mecha combined to create Dankuga. There's a certain elements, certainly with the face, which certainly Abari kind of takes would be a kind of key feature, especially when you get to like Gravian, and Abari would direct Dankuga Nova as well, which is a which really is a very very Masami Abari TV series. So you can see, but you can see kind of those, all those, some of those hallmarks that, mm. you know, certainly some of the angles, some of the features, yeah. some of the details very much become, but it's not quite what you would see like a few years later when he directed the two episodes in Bubblegum Crisis. Mm-hmm. But that's where you really got to see Masami Abari's mm-hmm. style, I think. Yeah, in, definitely. In those two yeah. episodes. You see an evolution of what it would become. Yeah. Um, I mean, like you say, the key elements of Dan Cougar's got that, what I like to refer to as the sort of quite heroic super robot face. Yeah, yeah. You know, the big-ass sword and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, And the sort of very Ibari style in terms of design, but a lot of his signature things, there's a lot more signature stuff to come from him, I see what you mean, and Bobo Crisis sort of cements some more of that a little bit more in terms of the style. Yeah, you can definitely see... You can definitely see that start of his style there. Mm. Um, there's there is something very very distinctive. There's something very distinctive about Dan Cougar 
like which I do think does kind of set it apart from what came before. It, there's mm. just it just yeah, it's just the proportions. Mm. I say the the shape of the face. It's I, I, when you look at stuff like Gravian and um, Dan Geyser Three and some of the mecha there and the, the, the other stuff that he designed with faces. It's very much you can see it in Dan Cougar. Mm. I've got the the two Masami Abari art books, and literally so much of both of those books is is given over to Dan Cougar in in mm. from loads and loads of different angles. You know, he's obviously something that he's very kind of proud of as well. Even yeah. all these years later. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, I know he's on his official Twitter account. He's shared a hell of a lot of Dan Cougar out of yeah. the years, so it's definitely something that he he obviously loved working on. But I mean, everything—the design of everything in this show looks awesome. Yeah, I mean... and that's and that's <laughs> what I was going to come on to next because I think generally, as a as a collective of mecha designs, you know, all of the Zorbidus mecha, there, there's some really, really just cool looking designs in it. The main ships, the attack ships, mm-hmm. as I said on the first episode review, the you know the Earth fighters or Earth military fighters, you know, they're all. Mm. It's just a real. There's a real care and a real attention kind of to detail attention to detail in it. Yeah, yeah. And Gundor, I mean, Gundor yeah, is just Gundor as well. fantastic. And, yeah. You know, that's getting more into... Because we've had this kind of quite militaristic mecha thing, albeit with a beast theme, Gundor is a lot more fantastical because essentially it's a big mechanical dragon. Yeah. Um, but the, the transformation sequence of Gundor is just so spectacular. It really is quite jaw dropping, like the amount of detail in it. It's yeah. just such a cool reveal. I love that episode, and yeah, just the design work all all over. Even on you, you know, just like quite sort of uh, what in other shows would be quite background stuff, like yeah, you know, sort of armored personnel carriers and like yeah, jeeps yeah, and stuff yeah, just look cool yeah. in it. You know, things that you might not necessarily bat an eyelid at another show. You just you see that a lot of care has been put into it. I mean. I don't know if even even those were designed by Obari, but certainly no, they all I look think, really good. Yeah, I mean there was another mechanical designer, so I imagine. Yeah, I, I, I imagine he would have worked on that. But you're not not talking necessarily just about Abari's work, but just about the work on the show in general, as it just looks great. Yeah, the, ev- everything, everything ev- all the mechanical design in this show just looks absolutely um, fantastic. It's a really really well crafted. Um, show in, in that respect but then coming on to the mm. like sort of segueing into the animation because as we said the first episode looks amazing and some of the first mm. few episodes look good but some of the some of the episodes through the middle mm. the animation takes a real dive yeah there's some like inconsistent those, ones definitely very like, inconsistent and it's, it's one of those things because you know in terms of crunch because there's, you can see where they've just taken cells out, basically. Mm. They've dropped the cell count significantly. Um, yeah. Now, the mecha and the action bits tend to still look very, very good. Yeah. But then you get a lot of character animation and and stuff where they're talking or walking or whatever, where you can there's just see... There's some obvious they, shortcuts. There's some real obvious shortcuts. And there's quite a long run of it as well. So it's one of those things I remember... And it wasn't so apparent when I watched it on DVD, but when I watched the Blu-ray rip originally, because mm-hmm. it was like, so then watched the first episode and thought, oh, wow, this, you know, God, I didn't really appreciate how good this looked. 
and it gets and it, you get this lulled into this thing, you know, sense of security <laughs> of this is going to look like it, and then and then he quickly kind of drops off a bit of a cliff, uh, and you get this bit where it kind of really run it looks really ropey, but then kind of gets corrected a bit towards the end because mm. the final few episodes do look very very good, yeah, um, as as well, you know. The introduction of the humanoid mods, I believe it is as well. Like when you first see the transformation, it's kind of done in wireframe. There's like yeah. there's a sort of like wireframe or sort of polygon kind of. Mm. It looks a bit like something out of um, some old vector graphic video game or something. Yeah. Um, where the animation is still quite good, but it's kind of you know like it's almost like a schematic come to life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you wonder whether that was because they didn't quite have it ready so they decided to just go with like what they had yeah. or whether that was a perp because the thing is it could be a stylistic thing in terms of like you know I've seen other shows where it shows a sort of wireframe and then it puts kind of meat on the bones essentially and it puts the sort of uh, the colours in and stuff like that Yeah, yeah. but absolutely. I think judging by the fact it had dropped off a little bit by that point I think realistically we have to say it was probably production crunch I it was think. probably production crunch that caused it to have that yeah. sort of that grid sort of vector thing um, instead of like you know being fully coloured and everything. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a uh, the art the artwork is very very good. It's say uh, it's just mm. some of those shortcuts in it that kind of having having look so good. You just kind of go, oh. It's a bit like that yeah. episode in um, Macross in it where they. Yes, I was <laughs> going to mention that actually. Yeah, there's a really <laughs> that really bad episode of Macross with. Which annoyingly, if it's the same one I'm thinking of, has the uh, what would have been a really cool action scene, but it's kind of truncated by the yeah. fact the animation just goes off a cliff. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's the, it's one of the ones that has a Zentradi versus a Valkyrie, yeah, uh, Batroid right, yeah. fight, yeah, uh, and it's one. just that would have been awesome if that had been animated well. But it's a bit of a shame that it wasn't, because the art is still really good. It's sort of somewhat sort of it stands up but, yeah yeah it does but still stand um up. frustrating though because it is such a good looking show overall um just talk, talk about the soundtrack a little bit uh yeah yeah overall quite a strong soundtrack i would say i, I quite mm. like the music the show, yeah the music as in it is good the, yeah yeah the transformation sequences a highlight that is it's Probably music to get you pumped up, isn't it? Really? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I, you know, it does have a very, very good um, soundtrack. It's all the way through. It's got really, really solid music. Um, mm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's quite fitting as well. There's a lot of it that some of the uh, themes that get reused are quite, are quite good. You know, the the enemy uh, sort of theme is is pretty cool. You know, when we get sort of scenes of the Mugi and things like that. Yeah. Um, and it just generally fits the show, and it's you know there's nothing worse than an atmospheric scene where you're taken out of it. Yeah, definitely. By terrible, either a terrible use of a good piece of music that's in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah. Or just music that seems a bit like an afterthought. Yeah, definitely. So I appreciate the fact that that's pretty consistent throughout the show. Yeah. So final thoughts then. Overall, I'm going to give it an eight. Yeah, yeah. I've mm. seen it three times, and I I do enjoy it. I do really, really enjoy it. I think it is a really, really kind of well done show. But I just for me though, it's just the ending. I just think yeah. this kind of tripped over their laces a little bit just at the very end. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, 
I think it's a classic. I really do. Mm. I can understand why it is held in such high regard as a classic. And this was only my second viewing of it, but I certainly feel that it has more strengths than weaknesses. And although Definitely. the end is frustrating, at least we did get an end and all be yeah. in a very strange form. So unfortunately, it has that little black mark hanging over it, but it's I still think it's greater a, than the sum of its parts, and it is yeah, a definitely. Show. It's still a very, very strong show, and as you say, it is definitely a classic, and and you know, it should definitely, uh, you know, people and should I would definitely give go it, and check it I out. I would give it an eight as well. Yeah, um, there's part of us that's tempted to give it more, but because of those little flaws we discussed in the strange formatting of the ending, yeah, I think I'm going to go think, with eight. Yeah, I think if they'd sorted the ending out better, I think it could have been a nine. But it just mm. the ending, it just is, it's just weak and a bit clunky. And it's not just the OVA format and the fact no. that they left it later. It's the fact that so much stuff, as you said, isn't explored. I mean, that whole reveal with Mugi and then to do nothing with that, it's um, it is a bit of a disappointment in that way. But certainly, you know, for the most part, it is a show I love. Yeah, yeah, and, it uh, is. Just yeah. let down by a few small things. Yeah, definitely worth watching. Definitely worth watching. Absolutely. Thumbs up. Okay, that brings us to the end of our review of the Dankugo TV series and Requiem for Victims AVA. Next time, we are going back to the 70s with a review of Tekkerman, the Space Knight. So we're both big fans of the 90s Tekkerman Blade series. So we're going to go back and look at the uh, original show. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I'm looking forward to that one. So where to find us? The podcast is hosted on SoundCloud, but you can find us on Spotify, Amazon, Apple, basically any podcast streaming service. Um, the, the RSS feed gets picked up by most of them. Uh, just search for Retro Mecha Podcast. Craig, where do we find you? Um, I'm on Twitter at Anime Heads Retro, and you can find me... Um... Anime Heads Retro World at WordPress.com. You can also find us on Twitter at RetroMecha. And we also have a blog which is RetroMechaPodcast.wordpress.com. You can also find my other podcast, Retro Anime Podcast, on all the same hosts and services and at RetroMecha. So, uh, yeah, good deep dive into Thank You there there uh, Craig um, certainly yeah really enjoyed it uh, always great to talk about a, a show I love um, and not yeah. get uh, frustrated about the ones that I really uh, don't like <laughs> yeah you know as we said at the end of um, the uh, Macro 7 you know a bit of a palate cleanser after a mm. Macro 7 <laughs> so, <laughs> Def- definitely yeah 
It's like a sort of refreshing drink after a hot day, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You're just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Right, and on that note, we'll say goodbye. See you yep. next time. Bye, everyone. See you, See next, you time. next time. Bye, everybody. The opening and closing theme music to the podcast is Molten Alloy from Purple Planet Music. All other music used within the podcast is copyrighted to its respective creators.